Welcome to Potter Revisited, episode 51. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are discussing chapter 14 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Snape's Grudge. Or, as we like to call it, I have regrets. So we kind of open the chapter where it left off at the end of last chapter, where Sirius Black has broken into the castle again and almost killed Ron. So uh, they're tightening the security to Gryffindor Tower, which probably should have been done the first time. Flitwick is teaching the doors to recognize a picture of Sirius Black. And I kind of feel like that's something they should have done earlier on with Sir Cadogan. And it's definitely something they should be doing now with not just the front doors, but Sir Cadogan, the fat lady who's now back at the door, all of these things. But also just like the visual imagery of Flitwick, like holding up the newspaper with a picture of Sirius Black and talking to the doors like, do you see this man? Have you seen this man? It's just so funny because like the Weasleys are like, oh, Harry will be safe at Hogwarts because they have tightened security and they have Dementors at the entrance. But he's literally broken in twice (laughs) in the few months they've been at school. I feel like it is always the mistake of everyone to assume Hogwarts is safe, considering it's year three and Voldemort's gotten in two years in a row. So, really? Exactly. It's not the safe place. I feel like if they had normal parents, some parents be like, uh, what the fuck, Dumbledore? Uh." Sort the shit out. The PTA would be all up in his business. (laughs) Yeah. Lucius Malfoy needs to start the the PTA. (laughs) Honestly. But despite uh, almost dying, Ron's actually kind of enjoying his instant celebrity that he has in a school. It kind of reminds me of like when someone breaks their arm or something and everyone's just always kind of like, oh, how did it happen? And like, how was your hospital trip? Can I sign your cast? And it's just like, this is Hogwarts, so it's not a cast. It's just like near death. (laughs) And it's just very exciting to all these kids. At first, I was thinking that it's kind of sad that almost being murdered is what it takes to make Ron get a decent amount of like attention from other people. But then I remembered that like almost getting murdered is also the entire reason Harry gets so much attention. Like it's just the only way to get attention (laughs) at Hogwarts is you kind of need to be almost murdered. Like that's it. You can't can't be captain of the Quidditch team. No one cares. Head of house. Nobody cares. Head boy. No one cares. You almost die. Instant popularity. Top of the class. Ron's loving the attention he gets and he's kind of telling everyone the story and everything. But he does remark to Harry that he's kind of surprised that Sirius Black didn't kill him because they assumed that Sirius Black was aiming to kill Harry. He just got Ron's bed by mistake. And he's just like, why didn't he just kill me and go kill you next door? And like they're just like, that's kind of weird. Like broke all the way out of jail to come kill you. And he just didn't like, he's already killed before. So like, why didn't he just kill me? So kind of hinting that he's not serious is really what he's thought to be it's kind of funny because ron's kind of like no i'm not complaining and i'm super happy i'm not dead but also why am i not dead and then uh of course poor neville is still uh facing his punishments from the end of last chapter and again only a little bit his fault Everyone who had any sense of forethought or foreshadowing should have interpreted that this was how it was going to end, knowing his password struggles. And every adult that knew Neville was struggling with the password is to some extent at fault. And Percy, because he's in charge. Yeah, he has like very severe like punishments. Like he's obviously banned from going to Hogsmeade. No one's allowed to tell him the password. So he has to wait around for people to let him in. He gets detention and then he gets a howler sent by his grandmother who tells him she's an, he's an embarrassment to the family. And again, like everyone knew this was something he was struggling with and no one offered to help him. So 
sucks to be everybody and i have the most sympathy for neville in this case just the most sympathy but uh hagrid invites harry and ron to come visit him for i guess tea or lunch and hagrid's actually kind of responsible for once because he puts in his letter do not walk down to my place i will come and fetch you because it's dangerous wow there's a first time for everything i think this is this is hagrid's first big grown-up move acting his age and of course uh he brings them over and Ron assumes it's talk about his near-death experience, but Hagrid's already heard it, so he's over it. But he wants to talk about Hermione. And he kind of, like, he wants to talk about how Harry and Ron are treating Hermione. Mm -hmm. And is it really deserved? I feel like part of it is because Hagrid's really Hermione's only friend at this point, and he sees his friend hurting, and, you know, I think Hagrid also can tell that she's kind of losing it, because Hermione's, like, losing her marbles the last few chapters yeah quite noticeably falling apart so he's just kind of like her this has gone on long enough like who do you value like do you value friend or do you value some like petty like thing going on like is it worth losing your friend over i just find it incredibly hypocritical from all people hagrid to be out here saying that you should just get over the loss of a pet like Hagrid should be the single most likely person to sympathize with Ron in this moment especially Hagrid sitting there saying people can be a bit stupid about their pets like how many times has Hagrid risked the safety of the entire wizarding world because he's a bit stupid about his pets I do feel like Hagrid has a really big soft spot for monstrous creatures and then maybe he specializes with crookshanks because he does tell Ron like oh her cat was just doing what cats do they just eat rats it's just what that's just what happens. <laughs> but it, it is very... My dragon was just doing what dragons do, accidentally eating students. Could have happened to anyone. But it, it's, it's just very funny because, like, Hagrid is telling them this, like, oh, forgive Hermione for this. Like, it wasn't her fault. And, like, people are stupid about pets. And he's literally, like, has Buckbeak, like, on his bed. Lounging, sipping on a daiquiri. And also, he's kind of also telling them all for being bad friends, not only to Hermione, but for himself, because uh, he tells them that... His uh, hearing's coming up, and Harry and Ron completely forgot about it. Yeah. And Hermione, despite everything that's going on with her, she's helped him with his case. And the boys do feel bad, but Hagrid doesn't blame them. Your children doing research for a legal case isn't necessarily your area of expertise. Yeah, but I think it's just like trying to, to show the boys, that, you know, like, friendships are important, and that's all Hagrid wanted to do. They kind of forget about it because the new Hogsmeade uh, dates are coming up, and Ron wants Harry to come. And Hermione's just like, what the hell, Harry? Like, this guy just broke into the castle who wants to kill you. And Ron, you literally almost died. Like, like, why aren't you thinking? And it's just like, they don't have any sense of danger. Hermione has this, this habit of, like, doing things that are the opposite of helping herself. Like, she clearly wants to be friends with them again. And Hagrid just spent a whole bunch of time, like, sort of guilt-tripping them into feeling bad for Hermione. And then the first time they see her afterwards, the first thing she does is basically threaten Harry and and Ron and basically say, if you go, I will immediately tattle on you. I will tell them about the Marauder's Map. I will do all these things. Oh, well, yeah, for their own good. And it's just like, there are so many better ways to go about it. And I kind of feel like Hermione just does not have that ability. And she so often acts against herself. Well, she's not socially, like, inept. She's just, she values their lives most. Most of these arguments that she's had with them the whole year are about her trying to do things to save their lives and her opinion. And then them getting mad at her for it because she's doing it the wrong way. It just seems like... Considering she's still dealing with the repercussions of the last time she mishandled a situation, it kind of seems like she should be doing it 
differently. Like to me, as a smart person, even if you don't understand social things a lot, if you try to do a thing and you don't necessarily have the results you want and you have to do something similar, you should try doing it a different way, just like from a logic standpoint. So it's weird to me that once again, instead of like thinking about what Ron and Harry do value and trying to find a way to like express things to them in that way, she just does the same thing again, which is like, oh, I'll go over your heads and I'll tattle. Well, I don't think Hermione's able to do things differently than how she would because she always assumes what she's doing is right. So she doesn't care what they think about her or whatever. She's just like, I need to prevent them from doing the thing that will get them killed. It just seems like the wrong way, considering they always sneak out anyway. Like she needs, it's weird that she doesn't just know that they're going to do the dumb thing anyway. The only way they're not going to do the dumb thing is if she convinces them like on an emotional level, you know? And she just never does that. It's just like, nope, it's wrong. Don't do it. I said, don't do it. I'll tattle. And I'm like, that's not convincing them. I think she knows deep down she'll never convince them, but she has to kind of be like, for her own peace of mind, being like, I tried to prevent this. I guess. And if anything happened, she did what she thought was best. And that's just like, her mind's never going to think that she's wrong. She's always trying to do what she thinks is the right thing to do. And that's just her character. <laughs> I feel like Hermione gets gets like in the movies because they give her only the strong points of Hermione and they take away most of the weak points of Hermione sometimes. You forget that like these flaws she has, this like I'm always right, that's how it is. I decide the, what is right and I make the decisions regardless of other people's opinions on what's right. And like it's very like difficult trait to actually live with in a friend, but you forget about it because the way she's presented specifically in the earlier films, like they forget that she's a comp and it's like a disservice to the character because she's a lot more relatable when she's imperfect. This is what gives her depth. Like she's not perfect. She has these really annoying flaws that make her an actual 13 year old girl. But when she's just always right and everything she does is correct. And her- yeah, I am really excited for us to, do- to watch uh, the Prisoner of Azkaban movie because it's such like controversial movie in- and just the Harry Potter fandom because it's so different from the other two movies and it's different from the book a lot of the times. And I feel like Prisoner of Aspen is where they kind of separate Hermione from the books and Hermione in the screen. I feel like that's when it's very noticeable where they kind of like give Hermione like this different personality and they give her a lot of Ron's lines and they kind of like change her to like be this like girl power, like amazing character, even though she's an amazing character with her flaws. Yeah, it's almost like they think if anyone sees any flaws in her as a character, they'll discredit all of her bros, which is just not not true. It just sort of takes away a lot of the depth that makes her relatable. And, and also I think it makes Ron and Harry relatable in their treatment of her a bit more when you can see how annoying she, like you can be like, they should not treat her this way, but also that would piss me off. Seeing that makes you empathize more with Harry and Ron. And I think in other mediums like the films they almost don't want you to empathize with Ron most of the time they almost want him to be a bit of a jerk and I feel like this proper more well-rounded way of doing the characters is easier for you to see both sides and it's easier for you to understand the behaviors of both of them from where they're coming from rather than just like oh she's right he's wrong he's a jerk yeah it's definitely like watered down versions of like Ron and Hermione to make them more marketable which is lame (laughs) But uh, back to the book. <laughs> so despite the, the danger that Harry is obviously going to face at Hogsmeade, he's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go to Hogsmeade with my friend Ron. And so he goes and he like kind of sneaks out to go to 
the witch statue to go where there's the entrance and of course Snape is there and I'm just like does Snape like suspect that this is an entrance to Hogsmeade because obviously he knows about the map and stuff and it's just he just he's loitering around there I'm like he has to know or have an idea Honestly, I feel like this could be one of those legitimacy things where, like, because people at Hogwarts know about it, not just Harry, but, like, the twins and stuff, he's maybe sensed they're thinking about it a little bit. And he's like, why do they think about, like, why as soon as someone says Hogsmeade or Fred and George suddenly are craving snacks, they they start thinking about this one-eyed witch statue? What is that about? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he's probably... Also, they probably just aren't the most inconspicuous people in the world. I'm sure it's a lot of, like, Fred and George leaning against the wall, sup-nodding people who walk by, and then falling through the hole. Like, I'm sure they're not the most subtle, but I think it could be a little bit Snape's mind-reading skills. I also wonder if, like, Snape's supposed to be keeping an eye on Harry as per his, like, double life job. And he's just like, why is Harry always going to this part of the castle? He gets caught off by Snape and Snape's kind of like very suspicious. And Harry's just like, oh, I just so happened to be here. Oh, and Neville's here. What a coincidence. Yeah, so he has to go back to Gryffindor Tower and wait till Snape leaves and then head back. But um, he meets Ron and they do like all the Hogsmeade's things. So they do all like the shopping at Zonko's and the candy shop and the, the Owlery post office. And then they go up to where there's the Shrieking Shack said to believe them be the most haunted building in all of Great Britain, which is hilarious coming from students who tend Hogwarts where there's at least five known ghosts floating about. Yeah. Like, how many ghosts do they think fit in this tiny little shack? But uh, Ron gives some facts, and apparently Fred and George have tried to break into the Shrieking Shack, but it doesn't surprise me, but apparently like, they can't get into it. That makes sense. It's very, very blocked up from like the actual visual entrances. It's only the the tunnel. So a lot of forethought went into like developing the Shrieking Shack and everything to just for Lupin that you can't even get into it. Even starting the even starting the probably the theory. Like I mean, a little bit it was students hearing sounds from it, but I think a little bit was like they encouraged that because it would keep a lot of people away. Yeah, Dumbledore definitely encouraged the rumors. Their time at the Shrieking Shack is just. um, is, um, I guess, foiled by Malfoy, of course, who only sees Ron there because Harry's wearing the invisibility cloak. So he's just like, you know, teasing Ron. Out here alone, talking to yourself. Doing his Malfoy things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) By yourself with either Streaking Shack and making fun of his house and his family as Malfoy does. (laughs) And Harry's just like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna play a prank. And Harry starts like a mud fight. Yeah, he starts yeeting things at Draco. Which is, it's changed to snowballs in uh, the movie, but uh, I do like the idea of Malfoy getting covered in mud because it's just like worse. Because he's so tidy and like uptight and uppity about things. The idea of him getting schmuck on him is is like visually entertaining. Especially because he gets him like right in the face too. So I just, I the, the way it's described, like it's really funny how Harry's just like, you know, throwing mud at them and they're not seeing where it's coming from. And then, then he's like tripping Crab and Goyle and everything. But he messes up because when he trips, I think, Crab, the cloak falls down a bit and Malfoy sees his floating head for like a second and then he like freaks out and runs back to the castle so Harry has like like, this amazing race back to the castle to beat Malfoy which is crazy he has to run all the way back from like Hogsmeade to to Honeyduke sneak into the cellar then run run back up that like uh tunnel back to the school and then somehow act completely normal (laughs) after running like a marathon seriously it would be and he's not known for his like good lying skills Harry Potter like I could see him like still having mud on his shoes like (laughs) No, I haven't been anywhere. 
He still has mud on his hands when Snape accosts him. Yeah, he Snape runs into him like right when he's like getting out of like the uh he just gets out of like the statue. And Snape's just like, oh, I heard this story about you, and Harry just still has mud on his hands and is trying to like wipe it off in his pockets. Like he didn't think this through. He's like, No, no, I've just been here the whole time. So Snape brings Harry to his office because uh Snape knows. He, he knows. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you little shit. But what I absolutely love is, like, Snape is so funny in this entire scene. Like, the things he says, and he's not trying to be funny. Dry humor. It's pretty darn hilarious. Like, he's talking about how Harry's head was seen there, and he's like, your head isn't allowed to be in Hogsmeade. No part of your body has permission to be in Hogsmeade. <laughs> if your head was in Hogsmeade, so was the rest of you. <laughs> like, it's just such... And then to, in the deadpan, Severus Snape, no part of your body has permission. <laughs> thing is, like, Harry deserves this. Like, Harry was out doing these things when he shouldn't have been, and he knows he shouldn't have been, and he's basically screwed. But the thing is that Snape goes from, like, telling him off, being like, I know you were in Hogsmeade, and he's trying to convince um, Snape that Malfoy has amnesia or something. Like, Malfoy's just an idiot. <laughs> Come on, Harry, think of a better lie. But Harry's just like, he's not he's not fooling Snape. But then Snape goes, and he brings Harry's dad into the conversation, like, completely unprovoked. And my note here is, go to therapy, dude. Go to therapy. And because, like, obviously Snape's triggered by Harry just, like, you know, trying to get out of trouble. It reminds him of James. But the thing is, like, that's the thing to do with Harry. Harry's just being a stupid kid. And then I'm going to give uh, Snape a, a plus one sucks point because he brings up James and he kind of goads Harry. And Harry gets really mad because he's talking shit about his dad. And Harry's 13 and he's like, hey, don't talk shit about my dad. My dad's a great person. And Snape's like, bitch, you didn't know your dad. Don't you go telling me who he was. You didn't know him. So, yeah. And then Snape gets set off by Harry being like, my dad was great. And my dad was just, and Snape's like, actually, your dad was, <laughs> was a terrible person. And it's just like, he's not going to prove to Harry that his dad was a bad person because Harry's 13. I think this is one of the times where I have a lot more sympathy for Snape than you. Okay, I always have more sympathy for Snape. But this is one of those times because I think Severus Snape has to like spend his whole life being miserable and walking on two sides of the fence, which probably feels like an uncomfortable wedgie. And doing what Dumbledore says and doing what Voldemort says. And his whole life kind of revolves around Harry Potter. And then Harry Potter goes and does something so obviously reckless as being A, in town where he's unsafe, sneaking around, being invisible there. Well, he doesn't know about the invisibility, but he's sneaking around unsafe and no one knows where he is. Like Harry could get murdered out in Hogsmeade and no one would know for hours because no one knows, knows Harry's in Hogsmeade. Not to mention that he's endangering the lives of any student who's around him when he almost dies. Like, I think... The stuff that, like, from Hermione's perspective, it's kind of like Harry's an idiot and Harry's going to get himself killed. And that's going to mean that Harry is now dead. But I think Snape also has the thing of, like, his own personal time he's had to invest in Harry. And he's like, I've had to do all this dumb shit. We have all these Dementors. All this crap is going on because of Harry Potter. Everyone has to, like, change the way they're living their lives and do things differently now because Harry Potter's here and serious and danger and Harry Potter. And Harry Potter's the one who's, like, acting the least serious about it and like he's like my whole life has to keep you safe even though i hate you and you're out here like risking it all for some candy like and he can't say these things to anyone because dumbledore has like no sympathy for snape ever and like voldemort i mean would probably say let's kill him and snape wouldn't hate that but <laughs> like it's just like 
it's got to be incredibly frustrating. I feel like my sympathy for Snape is quite low, but mostly just because of the way he treats children. Like, yeah, no, I, he definitely shouldn't treat children like that. I get that he was he was put in a position that he shouldn't have been because he obviously should not be a teacher because he cannot deal with children properly. And he's just like making things worse. Like this isn't how you deal with children. This is like what we said. Snape should be in therapy because he's just trauma dumping on Harry. And like that's not going to help you because he's a 13 year old who's just going to like razz you for it. I kind of feel like Snape... Snape's whole, like, life and the things people are expecting of him is, like, he's part of this group project to keep Harry Potter safe, and he has to do all of the shitty work, and Harry's doing none of the work. (laughs) But Harry doesn't even know that it's a project. He's just like, I'm just trying to keep you not dead, you little shit, and Harry's like, what if I run around with scissors open, and, like... I've never gone cliff diving. Let's give it a go. And Snape's just like, oh my God, wrap him in bubble paper and like shove him in a box for 18 years. Can we just wrap him in bubble paper and shove him in a box? I don't see a problem with it. <laughs> and Dumbledore's that person that's like the leader of the group project, but does nothing but put their name on it. <laughs> nothing. But uh, between this like kind of like argument between Harry and Snape or Snape's insulting James Potter and Harry's like, hey, that's my dad. My dad was cool. He saved your life. We find out that, according to Snape, that he was just saving his own neck and Dumbledore didn't tell Harry that, like, oh, did you know that he was part of the plan to get me killed? And he he just got cold feet. So Harry's just kind of, like, didn't hear the side. And he's like, well, it's coming from Snape, so do I trust it? But then he's like, Dumbledore did say he saved his life. So a little tidbit that will come back later on. Dumbledore just tells Harry what he thinks will benefit himself Dumbledore he's like if I tell Harry this he'll think this so I'll be able to manipulate him like this it's I don't think it's he wants to keep Harry's ego in check but he also wants to keep Harry hero worshipping his parents so it keeps the vendetta of like hating Voldemort alive and like fresh and like this burning anger doesn't die down in him like it benefits Dumbledore for Harry not to learn to cope with his grief yeah and then it keeps Harry in the dark (laughs) yeah and it and it allows his parents to almost be deities in his mind these perfect glowing gorgeous beings that only ever did what was right and I think Snape humanizes his dad I mean definitely to an extreme like Snape probably sees James as a bit more of a dick than James actually was but it still like humanizes and turns them into real people. And that's super counterproductive to what, what Dumbledore would want. Well, it's like, it does, it does happen. Like when you are kind of like Harry's age, you that's when you kind of, your parents aren't like superheroes or like amazing, like superhero beings to you. Like you kind of see their flaws at this point. You're like, oh, my, my parents are just people. And I feel like everyone who has like a lot of parents comes to that realization, but it's harder when like your parents aren't there and all everyone talks about because they're dead is like all these great stories and how great they are because generally that's just like, you always want to focus on the good and then having someone kind of being like, actually your parents were, your, your, your dad was kind of terrible at this point in time and being like, and then Harry just had to come to that kind of realization later on. And I think Order of the Phoenix is kind of like when he kind of like realizes like, oh wow, his parents were kind of like, they're real people and they were also kind of terrible sometimes and yeah they weren't perfect yeah and it's hard to have that when your parents aren't around to like talk to you about it it's really hard for harry i think to like like, if you don't see them as real people and you just sort of see them as this glowing memory it's harder to actually feel the right not the right kind of grief but like it's harder to come to terms with the fact that like oh my parents were me like 13 once and they went to hogwarts at 13 and like they were mean to people or had people be mean to them and they had friends and they had foes and they had quidditch games like they're they're such a like faint thought they're like an ectoplasm they're not they're like an idea not like like an actuality yeah but uh state is done with harry and he's just like you know what empty your pockets and harry of course has his zonkos uh 
purchases in one pocket and the map in another pocket. And he's just trying to be like, you know, Ron gave this to me like, like months ago. And then Snape's just like, and you carried it around with you? I just love Snape with his like detective vibes, like his true crime girly moment. He's like, show me the evidence. I bet there's evidence I'm right. And I love that for him. <laughs> Turn out your pockets, you know? Harry's just like, it's just not going well for him. And Snape kind of, I think, knows what the map is. Or at least he has an idea of what it is. And he's like, he's like, 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 what, what is this? And Harry's just like, you know, it's parchment. I just, you know, carry it around with me. And he's like, oh, you won't mind if I destroy it in the fire. I mean, that's, that's one way to get the answers. And like, oh, if you don't care about it, I'll just. Yeah. So then Snape thinks it's like dark magic or something. So he. Which I mean, is kind of right. It's pretty advanced, risky, dangerous magic. He's not wrong. So he tries a few different things and then eventually he reveals like i am severus snape the master of the school reveal your secrets and then some uh insults come up from him from the original marauders which this magic of this map is just like insane yeah it's a really really clever i love it a lot which of the insults do you think is the best because each of the marauders sort of gets gets a few lines in yeah Uh, each of the marauders give their own insult to snape which is Amazing. Like, like, I think about, I could talk about the Morris map forever. It's just like the, I, how it started and just like how this magic works where like the Morris aren't even here. Most of them are dead and like they can, it can, like, it can sense who Snape is. Like they remember him, but. Like, I wonder if the insults are that specific for everyone or are they just pre-planned specific insults for Snape because he's one of their like active foes. Yeah, I feel like they might have planned for Snape. Like if someone like Draco had opened the map, it would just call him like a sniveling Slytherin because they can sense your what house you're in or something, you know, more vague. I feel like because Snape revealed who he was, I feel like they must have pre-planned stuff for him because I feel like if they were up to something, Snape was always like trying to figure out what they were up to. Yeah. So they probably had one to have like a fail safe. On the higher level of people who are likely to try and reveal the map secret. But I think my favorite were, were, uh, insults were Mooney and Wormtails just because those are... They- yeah, Wormtails was the best. It's the first time he's ever done anything good. They weren't expected because, yeah, because we know... Like Sirius and James, like obviously had more of the rivalry with Snape compared to I feel like Remus and and uh, Peter, who were just kind of like followers and they kind of went along with everything. But the idea that they they both had insults for him that were pretty like pretty witty and stuff, like they they were like I feel like they were unexpected. So that's why I think those are my favorite. Wormtails is Mr. Wormtail bids Professor Snape good day and advises him to wash his hair, the slime ball. First of all, the, the the slime ball at the end is so good. I want the, like I wish that was more an active part of my life. Like when I casually refer to Snape, even though I love him, to be like, ah, the slime ball. <laughs> like I just love that. But also that he starts like he says, "Hey, how's it going? Good day." Just joking, you asshole. Like it's it's beautiful. It like leads you astray and then pulls you back down. It's the one good worth thing Wormtail ever did. It's a well written insult. Uh, on the opposite context of not as well written. The author writes the stupidest incantations that Snape is trying to reveal the secrets of this map. Like most of the actual spells are like Latin words and he's out there like, reveal yourself, tell me your secrets. Like the most obvious things anyone would try ever. And none of those sound like real spells and all of those sound like you're obviously trying to look at a thing you shouldn't be looking at. Yeah. It's just terrible things to try. And that's entirely the author's fault. Snape would never actually do that. That's an author issue. He's smarter than that. Especially because, like, the last book we had uh, Hermione trying to figure out Tom Riddle's diary and was doing all these different spells and stuff to get it to, like, reveal 
what it was hiding and stuff. And I feel like they could have like had Snape do some advanced stuff. Yeah, he's good at magic. And they just have him go like reveal your secrets. <laughs> I get that they probably needed him to say his name because that's kind of what triggered the insults to him. Yeah. But I feel like there could have been something a bit more creative. But I just want to bring up, uh, I really like Sirius for Mark as well because he remarks like he's surprised that he that's us he becomes a professor because later on when they meet up again he's also surprised that that Snape is a professor so he's the same person so continuity it's funny because Sirius never he has sort of Hagrid syndrome where like something happened and he sort of gets stuck at a certain age of age mentality and like because he got sent away pretty young like 21 he's still like a 21 year old which like once you're past 25, 21 year olds are pretty young, it turns out. So like he's still kind of teenagery in the way he does things and his recklessness and his lack of forethought. Well, he just lived on a diet of revenge basically for like 12 years. So it's just funny compared to Lupin later on, especially how they both, the how much they've changed versus not changed from their younger selves at the age of making the map. Exactly. Well, uh, speaking of Lupin, uh, Snape calls for Lupin because he's like, this map is dark magic and he's showing it. And Lupin's kind of being like, Lupin kind of, he has a reaction to seeing the map, but he kind of, and Harry, but he kind of plays it off in front of Snape. But I'm just wondering what his internal reaction must be. Because Lupin knows how to lie. He's had to lie his whole life. So he's skilled at it. Unlike Harry, who has not acquired the skill. I'm just wondering like, what we think Lupin would be thinking to himself. Like, obviously, outwardly, he's super cool and confident. But inwardly, he makes be like, like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> his first thought is probably like, oh, that's where that got up to. Like, he's excited to see it again, probably, because he has a lot of good nostalgic memories. And then he's probably like... Oh, it's fun that Harry has it. I wonder how Harry got it. That's such a nice, like, turn of events. It should be in Harry's hands. That's the right place for it to be. And then he's like, oh, Snape. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> We're in trouble. Everything was good except for this part. Now I have to fix it. I just think he's thinking, like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Because he's trying to, like, to shield Harry from, like, his past. Like, he wants there to be, like, kind of, like, a, a distance. Because he doesn't want Harry to know, like, all of his past shenanigans and his connection to Sirius and I feel like the map's just one more thing that's connecting Harry to his past and he's like shit 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 and obviously he doesn't want Snape to know what it is either because it's interesting that we take it differently yeah I love that your thing is like oh no he's panicked this is bad my thing is like he's sentimental he's like that's so sweet I love how that turned out yeah I think no I think he he doesn't want people to know his connection to Sirius and especially Snape too he's trying to dissuade Snape from ex like experimenting on the map because Snape already suspects him from being friends with S Sirius and like trying to like tell Dumbledore that he's letting Sirius in so he doesn't want any connect connection of him to the map he's just like he's like, I got, he's like I gotta get rid of this I gotta take this thing and get it out of here <laughs> so uh, what Lupin does actually is just you know he dissuades Snape being like oh this is just like a prank map that will insult you if you try to read it and he's like hey come on Harry Let's get out of here. Ron also bursts in before that and it's like, like, I gave Harry the Zonko stuff like ages ago and he wasn't in Hogwarts. I swear to my life. I uh, I think it's interesting that Ron knew, like, was Ron, like, figured out a lie, like, knew Harry had things in his pocket, figured out Harry had been caught and jumped to the conclusion of this is the best lie I can tell. Pretty spot on. Good work, Ron. You're a bit late. He had to do a big run. But, like, he did a, it's it's better when he does it. But uh, Lupin kind of pulls the boys out of out from Snape being like, oh, we're gonna go talk about my essay. Mm -hmm. Essays and stuff. And uh, this is where he kind of tells them off for, you know, being 
reckless and stupid and interrogates him a bit about the map and everything. And he sort of reveals in his interrogation that he knows a bit about it. Yeah. And Harry's like, did you know the... And Lupin's like, we've met. Harry's excited, yeah. But he says it in my mind, like, we've met. Like, he's ashamed, kind of, and embarrassed by the whole situation. He's so ashamed of his younger self. And, like, he knew that who he was back then is the kind of person who would have found it funny to put Harry in danger and to risk his life. And it's really embarrassing for him to look at those things that he did now as a person who like has a broader context and understands the importance of like safety and like the actual risks involved and it's just harder for him to see that like wow the person i was is someone who would have put harry this young boy in danger and not only done it but thought it was funny you know and it just like it reminds me of like looking back at myself from so much younger like he sees the reflection of past him and he's like cringing at how he behaved. And it kind of reminds me of like when I look at pictures of myself in like middle school, when I had that like bad haircut that was like kind of a mullet situation. I don't know (laughs) if anyone existed on Tumblr in the early 2000s, but like shoulder length poofy hair with a thin layer of hair that was really long underneath. And I wore it in two braids and everyone thought it was bad extensions, but it was just like a life choice that I made. And every time I look back on things like that, I'm like, yikes, what was I thinking? Who did I think I was? why did my loved ones let me do that was there no adult supervision and like I kind of feel like these are the exact things Lupin is thinking about himself like please just obliviate that entire year of my life from my memory please yeah I think everyone can relate to things that you did in like middle school high school and like things you did for fun or just things that were just obviously reckless or not safe but like looking back as an adult you didn't have that context back then So that you're just like, why did I think that was okay? Why did I do that? Why was that fun? And like, everyone I think has the the choices that they made. You're like, that wasn't, that wasn't great. (laughs) Also, and it's just like his past is just constantly coming up to get him. Like he he took this job and like, he's confronted with Harry and like Sirius Black and all these things he's kind of like tried to like put in his past and not think about. They're always coming up and Harry's always at the forefront of it. But I thought it was interesting that uh, Lupin's like really like, uh, going at Harry for going into Hogsmeade in the first place and being like it was a like a bad like it's a bad thing to do because your parents sacrificed their lives for you and like you repaid them by like being willy willy dilly see Lupin is manipulating Harry in the way Hermione cannot manipulate Harry Lupin can see in Harry enough of things about James and Lily to know that like he's empathetic and he carries a lot of guilt and so guilting him don't just say your life is valuable. Don't want to risk your life. It's valuable. Like things like that. Or this is the logic of it is not how you manipulate Harry. Telling Harry that like you will hurt other people. You're putting other people in danger. You will disappointing your parents. That's how you manipulate Harry. Lupin is an absolute ace at it. I also think that he was kind of projecting at Harry because he also goes off on Harry for not turning in the map because it shows all the secret passages. And he's like, why don't you show this to Dumbledore or to a teacher? But the thing is like Lupin also knows about those secret passages. And about more about Sirius that he's not telling Dumbledore either. So it's kind of like he's almost projecting his feelings about not telling Dumbledore onto Harry being like, oh, you should have done this, even though he hasn't done it either. I kind of feel like, because I don't see Lupin as grotesquely irresponsible. So either he sort of forgot about the map and was like, oh, shit, this thing's still kicking. I thought it was long since lost. Or an alternative that I don't hate is that Remus wants to be the one to confront Sirius because he has a lot of personal issues with him. And he knows what 
like exits Sirius and him are the only ones that know. So he's personally guarding those ones, knowing that like these are the ways Sirius is most likely to come in. I will be the one who stops him and I will get my moment of like yelling at him angrily before we take him down properly. Like I kind of feel like both of those are valid options. I don't think he's completely intentionally or consciously neglecting those sort of safety risks. I just think he's got a lot. Well, I feel like he he's he's assuming that it won't come to that because I think he does reveal later on in the book that like he wishes he had told Dumbledore about it because he felt guilty about like about Sirius being an animagi and like no one knew, but he was thinking like, oh, well, the Dementors are all over the like the school and everything. But as each break in comes in, he gets a bit more stressed because it's a big secret he's hiding. But like, it's also he doesn't want to. He feels that like he let Dumbledore down at school by like taking advantage of like all the things he did for him. And then he led his friends astray and he doesn't want to like own up to that. Yeah. So it does take him a while to like kind of like reveal that. To be fair, it's nice that people keep secrets from Dumbledore because Dumbledore's always keeping secrets from everyone else. And it's kind of like good for Lupin. But uh, after being told off very uh, sufficiently by Lupin, Ron and Harry go back to Grimdor Tower where Hermione comes and they think that she's going to come confront them again. But um... It turns out that she just wants them to know that uh, Hagrid lost his case and Buckbeak's going to be executed. We end up a chapter on a low note. And they had completely forgotten about it. Yeah. But yeah, bad bad times all around. Well, do you have any, uh, I guess, last comments or remarks about the chapter before we wrap up? I know you hate Snape and I know he's he's a jerk to some extent, but I kind of think he was a highlight in this chapter. Like the way he talked to Harry about the incident was pretty funny. And also... I love his detective moments. He's like, let me show, oh yeah, but there's still evidence on you, Harry Potter. And there is still evidence on Harry Potter. And I just kind of love that. He gets these little moments where he gets to almost experience joy, I think. You know, when Harry takes the things out of his pockets, I can almost see a little bit of a smirk on Snape's mouth. And like, that man deserves occasional happiness, you know? Every moment can't be deep shadows of relentless guilt. Uh, I think my final remarks are just, you know, just like, I love the shenanigans of this chapter and Haley Ron kind of just getting in trouble because they kind of deserved it for being just dumb Gryffindors and doing dumb Gryffindor stuff. Yeah. And loves the map. Yeah. The map's beautiful. I love maps in general. If a book comes with a friggin' map, God bless J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, I just love the magic of the Mars map. Like, there's just like the idea that like a bunch of like teenagers made it and like all the magic that had to go into it. Amazing, but I'm also just looking forward to the next chapter where we kind of like have Hermione's like kind of breakdown. I think I sympathize with her a lot more when she's just completely falling apart than I do when she's being so type A and kind of bossy. Like I, I more sympathize with emotionally distraught all over the place chaos Hermione. So I'm kind of excited because I feel like I've been a bit hard on her in the past few episodes of the podcast. And I know I have been. So it'll be nice for us to not fight about Hermione. Well, then you should love next chapter. But yeah, thanks for listening to this episode of Pottery Visited. And we'll be back next time to discuss chapter 15 of Prisoner of Azkaban, the Quidditch final. Have a good day. Say hi to your dogs, everybody. If you have any comments, questions, or Taylor Swift tickets, feel free to send them to us. If you have any actual, you know, comments or concerns you can email us at potterrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on social media at potterrevisited and yeah we'll be back next time bye